Welcome to Served Neat. I'm your host, Jen Hartman. I am wildly obsessed with marketing, sales, business, and the bottom line. I left corporate America with $3,000 in my bank account and a dream of becoming a successful entrepreneur. In the last two years, I grew my marketing consultancy to multiple six figures, worked with over 160 CEOs, and even started my very own fashion brand. In this podcast, I'll be serving up my best kept secrets to help you grow and scale your business. Each week, you'll hear from myself along with other entrepreneurs. You'll learn about what it actually takes to grow a brand, the ups, the downs, and everything in between. Pour yourself a glass of bourbon and get ready to take notes because it is time to dive into this week's episode. Hey guys, what's up? Welcome back to another episode of Served Neat. In today's episode, I had the opportunity to have a candid conversation with my favorite spicy attorney, Kelly Jones. Kelly is a virtual lawyer for entrepreneurs, small business owners, and online coaches. She counsels entrepreneurs to help legally protect their business, mainly through federal trademark registration, contracts, and other business strategies. Kelly has been practicing law for eight years and has worked for both nonprofits and private firms. Kelly opened her own law firm during COVID after seeing a gap in the online business space and entrepreneurs struggling with issues like non-payment, copyright and trademark infringement, and not knowing how unprotected their business truly was. Her goal is to help make the legal side a little bit less boring and to encourage proactive legal protection to save money, time, and stress. In today's conversation, we talk about how Kelly shows up confidently online, challenges that she faced in her first year in building a law firm, the real cost of contracts, and options for brands who are on a budget but still need legal protection. And Kelly even gives advice for what you should do when faced with difficult business scenarios, like when a client doesn't pay you, because let's be real, that happens to all of us. I know that you guys will love Kelly just as much as I do. So let's go ahead and dive in to this episode. Hey, Kelly, you are a spicy lawyer, and that's one of the reasons why I absolutely love you. What is your secret to showing up boldly and confidently on social media? So one of the things I think is that I was using Instagram before I started my law firm. Um, I was actually using it as a part-time fitness coach. So I think doing that for a couple of years and like, you know, learning how to use social media for marketing in that avenue, like that's kind of when I went through all the like, how do I navigate social media when like friends I see it or family or like guys I'm dating, like I had to get really comfortable with that from that. So I think that kind of set me up because I was like already years into using social media when I started my business as a lawyer. So it was just so much easier for me to transition. So I think that's one of the main reasons. <laughs> Okay, wait, hold on. We have to back up for a second. I just heard you mention part-time fitness coach. Um, can you please tell me about that? Yeah. So while I was working as a lawyer, um, I was a part-time spin instructor and boot camp instructor. Um, so yeah, I taught like at a local gym by my house, like retro fitness. And um, yeah, so I was doing that for a while because fitness was really like my passion. I 
actually thought that like maybe I would one day leave like law for fitness so <laughs> stop I had no idea we had that in common so I was a certified personal trainer when I like first came out of college did not go to school for it by the way like I went for comm and sports studies for undergrad and I was like you know what I just want to do personal training and I want to teach boot camps like I just love interacting with people like health and fitness is my life so for me it just made sense and I ended up building up a really good base of clients here in Louisville before we moved to Pennsylvania for grad school. And I ended up not re-upping my certification, but it's so funny. Like all of my favorite business owners were once personal trainers. Yes. It's so funny. I feel like a lot of us were. <laughs> yeah. But it was like a good, I don't know about you, but like it was a good taste of like what to expect in like full-blown entrepreneurship. Like I never started my LLC. Like I worked for different gyms, like around town and whatnot. So like, I never went fully into it, but I feel like I got a taste of what it was like to like promote myself and market myself and, um, retain clients and whatnot. So I think it was a good, like stepping stone into like what I do today. Yeah, I definitely agree. <laughs> So funny. Okay. I'm learning so much about you right now. Um, <laughs> what challenges did you face in your first year in building a firm? Um, I think probably one of the biggest challenges was really getting comfortable with being like more uncomfortable, especially with like not having that steady paycheck that you were relying on and just kind of like getting into that mindset of like, I can do this. Like this isn't going to fail. And, you know, dealing with just like different things that come up in entrepreneurship that are so different than working for someone else, you know, even just with hiring people and choosing what type of investments to make and things like that. So I think those were probably some of the biggest issues. Okay. And I know you've been in business for a couple of years now. What's a challenge that you have faced more recently and how did you overcome it? Um, I think probably probably just really navigating like what to do next in my business, you know, how to actually like take it from kind of like plateauing to what do I do next to actually make some type of change to grow it. And um, I think for me, that was choosing to invest more in hiring help rather than hiring more coaching, because, you know, I think I, I'm very strategy focused. Like I'm not like more mindset based or like anything like that. So I think it was really hard for me to stop investing in um, like more strategy because I kept thinking, okay, I need more strategy, more strategy. And then it's like, I have so much of it, but like, how do I do it all myself? And I think really, you know, investing in people to help um, is really what is helping me more because, you know, it's giving me time to do other things. That's such a refreshing response to that question. And it's nice to hear that other people, other business friends of mine are also investing heavily in their team. For the first couple of years in my own business, I mean, I feel like we've been friends for a hot minute, but I kept investing in like business coach after business coach after business coach, mastermind after mastermind after mastermind. Like I've probably dumped, I don't know, 50 or 60K into like coaching programs. And I'm not saying I regret any of it. It's all been, uh, it, it's it's been a great experience and I've, I've learned a lot. I've met a lot of great friends. I've learned a thing or two or three and yeah, I don't regret it, but it all, you also get to a point in business where it's like, okay, now I need someone to implement the things that I have been learning for a few years now. So I'm kind of on the same page as you were. Now I invest heavily in people and the payoff from that has been 
tenfold. We have made so much money from investing in people versus coaching programs. And who knows, I might go back to invest in a mastermind in the future, but right now I'm so focused on growing my team just like you are. Yeah, I definitely agree. That's definitely where my plans are going to be continuing to invest in as well. Amazing. So who have you hired recently and who are you going to be hiring in the future? So right now I have someone that helps with writing blogs and also someone that is just kind of like helps with a lot of random tasks. Um, She helps with like Pinterest things. She helps with taking the blogs and putting them on my website. She helps with all of like any type of graphic stuff I need. And then also really just other random things like, you know, getting ready for podcasts or like pitching for different things. Um, now I, I gave her a list to like find me conferences that I might want to attend in person for next year. So just pretty much anything I need. Um, and that has been really helpful. And I think next would maybe just be, I might actually probably maybe in 2023 help hire help for some of the legal stuff. Um, I've been really hesitant to let go of any of that area. Um, but I think there are certain things like maybe, you know, parts of the trademark application process or something, or even just updating clients and stuff, keeping track of that um, is something that I could hire help in. That's amazing. So what's the title of that role? Is that like paralegal or is it technically something else? Yeah, it'd probably be like either a paralegal or like legal assistant or something like that. Okay, cool. Wow. Sounds like you have some exciting plans and it's cool to hear kind of who you've hired and what's worked out so far. So you're obviously an attorney, so let's talk legal shit. What contracts should a service-based business owner or a coach have and how much should a coach budget for these contracts? So I think to start, you know, the most important contract, of course, is going to be the one that you're using to use with your clients. Um, and that's probably the first one you need, because probably the first thing you do is trying to, you know, you're looking for clients. Um, and then the rest, you know, any other contracts kind of depend on what you're doing with your business. If you have a website, then you're going to need like a privacy policy because it's, you know, required by law. Um and then, you know, maybe if you are, you know, either using affiliates to promote or you're hiring contractors or something, then you're going to want to contract for that. So that kind of depends on, you know, how you decide to grow your business. Um, but I would say for that, like initial contract, um, you know, mine's like 400 ish. So I would say budget for about that um, for that, you know, template, um, a lot of lawyers, myself included, we provide contract templates, which are kind of like a more cost-effective option for especially newer business owners, rather than, you know, hiring a lawyer to draft one for you. Um, you know, some do opt to go that route. That's fine too, but it's usually going to cost you like one or 2000. And as a new business owner, usually, you know, that's, kind of steep, um, especially when you have other things to invest in as well. Uh, so I would say to budget between, you know, like four and 500 for like your beginning contracts. And then just know that like, as you grow, you're probably going to need more. Amazing. Okay. I don't know if you can hear this in the background, but there's legit a guy hanging from one of our really tall trees and he's just chopping down branches. He's like in our neighbor's yard, but we have these like 
200 foot trees that they're just like cutting down. Can you hear any of that? No. Oh my gosh. It's so loud over here. Okay. I'm glad you can't hear it. So if you can't hear it, that our listeners won't be able to hear it. And that's great. So anyways, thanks for going over contracts. That's super helpful because I remember as a new business owner, I like didn't know what to do. I was like, do I go to Google and like Google a contract, which I'm sure a lot of people do. You probably see a lot of that. Do yeah. I go to an attorney and have them like make one up and pay money for it? Like, I just didn't know what to do. So that's super helpful. And by the way, like shameless plug, Kelly's contracts are so good. Like I tell everybody this who needs a contract, your templates are very easy to edit. They're easy to download. Like you can get through one of your templates and update it in like 10 minutes and have it mm-hmm. in HoneyBook or Dubsado. It's just, it's very easy to understand as well. Like I feel like they're written so like somebody who doesn't have experience in law understands what the contract says. So I really appreciate that one. And the other thing that I like about you, Kelly, is like when you buy a contract from you, if there are questions, like you are open to questions, which I appreciate because a lot of attorneys like would be like, nope, sorry, like you got to book a 60 minute call with me and pay $2,000. But if somebody buys a contract and template, you're like, no, like ask me a question, email me, whatever it may be. And that's what I just, I really appreciate about you. Yes, of course. You should definitely be able to, you know, not only use your contract, but understand it. So that's important. For sure. For sure. Okay. So you're a trademark attorney. What should you trademark and what shouldn't you trademark? So usually one of the first questions I ask is, do you have something in your business that you plan to use for at least the foreseeable future? And, you know, that do you really like it? Um, So not something that is, you know, maybe a temporary name that you think you're going to, you know, change your program name in six months or you're only running it a couple of times. It's a, you know, one time conference or event, something like that. You wouldn't want to bother trademarking because the process takes so long that you don't want to put your time and money into that. So it really should be something that you, you know, you see yourself sticking with at least for the next couple of years, um, hopefully longer. And that you want to, you know, you don't want to give up. So for some people, you know, it might be your business name, maybe it's your course name, or your mastermind name, or, you know, a podcast name, or your logo, something like that, that like, represents part of your brand, um, that you really want to keep. And, you know, that you also don't want someone else to have, or use. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Um, what other question did I want to ask about trademarking? Oh, are there like best practices for trademarking? Like I know obviously working with an attorney, but when you're even thinking of things to trademark or names that you want to name your brand or name a product or whatever it may be, like, are there things you should stay away from? Like, this is going to be a dumb example. Like, I don't think you can trademark the term dog or like hat, right? Like, tell me more about like some best practices when you're getting started. Yeah. So a couple of things, as far as like choosing names, you kind of, you don't want to choose names that are super generic for what you are doing. Like, you know, if you're selling hot sauce, you don't want to name it like hot sauce or just like sauce or something, because, you know, you're not going to be able to trademark something that's so generic because you can't stop someone else from calling their product what their product actually is. Um, So, you know, and then of course it gets along the line. Well, is it is it generic or maybe is it just more descriptive? That's kind of like the next type of trademark. And that is maybe where it's like, um, you know, like uh, DSW is like designer shoe warehouse. That's pretty descriptive of like what it is. 
Um, so, you know, but it's not exactly like shoe store, it's designer shoe warehouse. So it's a little different, but it's still not that strong of a name because, you know, it's still very descriptive of what it is. So it might be harder to trademark the trees coming down. Oh my gosh, wait, Kelly, I just show this to you because it's insane. Hold on. I don't know if you can see it, but they cut off the entire half of the tree and it's just hanging in the air right now. <laughs> I've never seen this before like I know that like obviously there are tree trimmers that's a profession but like to see half of a 200 foot tree just like get chopped in half okay I'm listening I <laughs> damn um where were we at with this um Oh yeah. So types of trademarks. So yeah. So you don't want to name your, you know, your, uh, whatever it is, product brand after something that's too descriptive, if you can avoid it, just because, um, it's going to be harder to get a trademark for it because the trademark office might say, you know, it's super descriptive of your product and maybe they'll allow it, or they might put it on the supplemental register, which is basically like a secondary register. Uh, which, you know, gives you protection, but not as much. Um, so that's where like more unique types of names come in or even more like suggestive names are kind of what we recommend as like a best practice, which is like Netflix. Like it's okay. It has to do with like the net, like internet, but, and like flicks movies, you know, you kind of get that, but it's not exactly describing what the service is. Um, you know, kind of have to make a little leap. So that's kind of like the sweet spot for trademarks because it still has something to do with what you're doing, um, but not directly related to it. Um, and then also, you know, another thing that people can do is use the trademark website. They, you can do a free search on the website. It's the USPTO website. You can Google USPTO TESS. It's for their trademark search engine. And you can kind of type in like if you, you know, maybe you're coming up with names for either your business or a course or a product or something, you can type it in and see if something comes up with that direct name. This won't help you with absolutely like everything. So it's not like a substitute for, you know, using an attorney for when we file, we do a more comprehensive search, but it's a great start because if something comes up and you see, okay, they're already registered in, you know, that name for, you know, either your product or something very similar, then at least that's a major red flag. And then, you know, go back to the drawing board, pick a new name. So yeah, those are my two main recommendations. Okay. Very helpful. So tell us a bit more about the timeline of filing a trademark and rough costs. Like it can just be like a, a range of costs that somebody should expect to spend. Yeah. So right now the timeline is taking over a year. Um, the trademark office is saying about 12 to 18 months, but they are getting slower and slower. <laughs> and right now from when we file to where it actually gets assigned to an examiner to start looking at it, it's, increasing to taking about like nine to 10 months right now. And that's just like, it's just sitting there at that point. Nothing has happened. It's not been examined. Like that's, it's just sitting there. So that is kind of accounting for the majority of the time of, you know, the length of the process. Um, So that's why it's taking a little over a year now at like a minimum to get a trademark. Um, And as far as costs go, 
I would say definitely budget a couple thousand. Like it's pretty much between, you know, around 3000 is like a good, um, you know, estimate. And that's because also the way that the trademark office charges filing fees are they charge 250 to 350 per class of goods and services. So it'll depend on what you are filing for, for how many, how much filing fees you have to pay them. So, you know, if you're filing like for education based, you know, a course, a podcast, something like that, that's one filing fee. But then let's say you have, you know, you also sell um, t-shirts or something, that's another filing fee. Or, you know, if you're doing like legal services, that'd be another fee. So yeah, that's why the fees can vary as well. Wow. I didn't know that you had to do that. That's a fun fact. I, uh, I'm like just going down this process with my third business where we are going to be trademarking the name, um, alongside patenting the product. And, it's funny because the I, patents kind of work the same way where it's like you pay per country that you go into. Mm-hmm. And my attorney was explaining this to me and I was like, oh, so we could spend $50,000 on a patent pretty easily. And he's like, yeah, you should probably budget around that. I was like, great. I'm so excited <laughs> for this. But ultimately like patenting and trademarking ends up being really worth it because it protects your brand. And I don't know about trademarking specifically. I know for patenting, like if you decide to license your product or if you decide to sell your company like a patent is so valuable does it work the same with the trademark where if you sell your company a trademark is super valuable like that yeah it's definitely one of your you know your top business assets so a lot of companies you know they don't want to buy a company if they don't have the trademarks for it because then you know they could get caught up in legal battles or like infringement and they don't want to deal with that um so it's yeah, it's one of your top assets if you're selling your company. And also if you are using it yourself, you can license this out. Um, you know, franchises do this. That's how they license out the name for other people to use it. Um, or even just uh, sometimes, you know, and in someone maybe is infringing or you're infringing on someone and instead of rebranding or something like that, maybe the other person or you, if someone else is infringing, will license out the trademark instead. And then it can just be another stream of income for you. Um, So yeah, that's done pretty often as well. That is so interesting. And I didn't know that about trademarks. So I'm assuming if I didn't know, there's probably a lot of my listeners who didn't know either. (laughs) So you definitely got my attention with that one. Very interesting. Okay. So I wanted to do something a little bit different on this podcast. I wanted to go through a couple of scenarios that all service-based business owners deal with and all coaches deal with at some point or another in business. And I'm going to kind of list off like what the issue is. And I want you to just give your response or ask questions to like get more details to give a response. Okay. Sounds good. All right. A client who signed isn't paying even after multiple late fees and multiple notices. I should. So the first thing I would do is still providing services because I probably would not be providing services. And I'd probably have that in my contract too, you know, that like services will stop if, you know, payment is not made uh, or payment's not made timely. Um, But then you also kind of have to weigh like what what is outstanding? How much, you know, because it kind of, you're weighing the, the money that is owed to you. And then also the time and energy and potential money that you might spend on trying to get it back. Um, you know, because you can send a demand letter for that money 
you know, if you already sent emails and they're, you know, ghosting you or blocked you, which I've heard sometimes happens, um, you know, maybe you will mail them a letter, which is also why I try to always get the person's address on our initial contract um, for that potential reason. Um, so that's, you know, something that you could do. Uh, there's always small claims is an option too. Again, you know, that's really where you're going to be weighing, like, is it worth it? Is it like $500 or is it like 10,000? You know, that might be a difference in how you handle it as well. Uh, there's also like collection agencies. There's two types. One type is where you will sell them. You're basically, you're selling them the contract. So then you're kind of removed from it. You get whatever money from them. And then they, you know, you're assigning it to them. They take over, they try to get money back and, you know, you have nothing to do with it any, any longer. And then some types of agencies, you will, they'll work with you. And, you know, then at the end, if they get something, you'll get like, you know, they'll get a percentage, you'll get a percentage. Um, so there's that as well. So those are kind of like what I usually recommend or bless and release and move on to the next one. And, you know, all of those are, there's no right or wrong way, really. It's whatever you feel is best for you as a business owner um, and how to handle it. Okay. Wow. Great response. Thanks, lawyer Kelly. Okay. <laughs> Scenario number two, I joined a coaching container and the coach broke the contract. She takes a week to respond to Slack messages, even though her contract states a 24 hour response time. How should I proceed with this? So. First, I would try communicating with the coach about that issue um, because, you know, I think a lot of times the majority of dispute, disputes come down to a lack of communication from either side. Uh, so I think first trying to communicate is always the best option. And I would also try to do that in writing um, just so it's more clear for both parties. Um, and then, you know, if that doesn't work, you also have to see because like, does her not communicating mean that you should stop paying your invoices? Well, I don't know, because is that a breach of contract? Maybe. Is it like a material breach of that contract? Maybe not, you know, just not responding or not responding in a timely manner. Um, so then, you know, essentially, you know, courts have found, you know, that's not a material breach. Basically, that's not like a big enough breach of the contract that it didn't give you you the right to stop and then breach the contract. And then you're the one that breached the contract. So you never kind of want to put yourself in that position where you could get be the one that gets screwed. So communicating it is always best. And then hopefully you guys can find some type of resolution where, you know, she promises to be better or she gives you a break on an invoice or she lets you out of the contract or some, you know, something like that. I'd also review the contract carefully and see, you know, is there anything else in there? One, is there a way out? Um, and two, you know, what else has she done? Anything else? Did she put anything in it about communication? Like, you know, notices via email or um, just anything and always try to communicate first. Yeah, I like that. Communication is so important. I feel like when you communicate effectively, it can actually fix a lot of problems before they get worse. But I think that a lot of issues around finances and legal, like people get very nervous about it and very sensitive. And I think that they're yes. so afraid to say anything. <laughs> um, and if you are, I recommend hiring someone who's not afraid to say something like a COO, like our COO is not afraid to lay down the law. 
I have found that the legal and financial conversations end up, I, it takes up a lot of emotional space with me mm-hmm. because I'm very attached to my business, but my COO, man, she like lays down the law and I love it. It's so nice to have somebody in my business who just does that and doesn't think twice about it. Yes. And that's really good too, because, you know, I think a lot of the issues happen is because like, because we do get emotional about our own business because, you know, we're so attached to it. So that is really good because she's obviously like still attached to the business, but less attached than you because it's not her, you know, business. So, yep. Okay. Last scenario. I hired a contractor to write my emails, but we're not seeing results. Can I fire a contractor? If so, what are the next steps? So first I would look at the contract that you assigned to see, you know, is there any type of termination or do you have to give some type of notice or something? Um, So I would look to that first. There probably is some type of, you know, maybe give two weeks or a month notice or whatever it is, Um, you know, or I would definitely start by communicating. So communicating what your, you know, what your problem or what your perceived problem is, uh, you know, what issues you have um, about the ROI of that, or, you know, what you feel that you're not getting out of it. And also understanding, I think a lot of times too, of what you hire that person for. And maybe this will be in your contract too. Um, but you know, did you hire them to write your emails or did you hire them to also close sales? Uh, you know, that's another thing too, is, uh, which I know you would say that <laughs> marketing is not sales. Um, so, you know, that's another thing too. And I think that is something that people get caught up in is, you know, thinking that I hired someone for this or, you know, this result when actually I hired them for this small piece of it. And there's other things too. So I think really looking at your contract first, and then also kind of looking at what your expectations are. Mm, That's a good one. That's really, that's good. I still find that even though I'm in my fourth year of business and we've worked with hundreds of clients, we still get a client every so often who thinks PR equals sales or marketing equals sales. (laughs) And as much as I try and explain like, Hey, like, yes, PR is really good for awareness and website traffic. I can't guarantee sales anytime a prospect is like, so what can you guarantee in terms of ROI? As soon as they ask a question, I'm like, we can't work together. You need a salesperson. I'm not your person. Right. Yes, exactly. You probably have to deal with that though, because you're an attorney. Like I doubt people are like, oh, Kelly, how much money are you going to make me today? Right. But some, I do have in my contract, you know, I'm not guaranteeing that you're getting a trademark because I can't guarantee that. So you might not, so that, you know, different, different, um, whatever you are not guaranteeing should be clear. (laughs) Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Do you ever, and if you can't answer this, that's totally okay, but I'm just being curious and nosy when you work with a client on trademarking, if they have a specific name that they're really attached to and you go and do your initial search and you're like, listen, like we can't trademark this. We shouldn't even waste our time going through that. Do you ever say something to people or like, because they're paying you and because they signed a contract, you kind of have to go through and do the dang thing anyways, even though you know that it's not possible. No. So the first part of the process is a comprehensive search. So that's where I, you know, do the search to see like the really assessing the risk level. So I give them an opinion letter with either this is low risk or moderate risk or high risk. And I've had plenty of high risk applications where I just say, 
Um, I send them a loom video too, and I try to put it as nicely as possible, but I say that you're bet, you know, this is very high risk. Sure. We can proceed with this. If this is what you want. Sometimes I don't even say that if like, it's so far of like, you know, you're absolutely infringing on someone. Sometimes I might be like, well, you're putting yourself at risk by filing this. Um, so, but yeah, I've said it a lot where like, you know, your best bet is to rebrand, um, when people, and I've had some people, um, I've actually had to tell quite a few people like you should not file this or we're not like, we can't, we can't file this. Um, sometimes they come up with another name. If they come up with another name, I, I just tell them like, listen, give me another name or give me another two options. I'll run a new search for you. I do that free of charge. Um, that way we can, you know, try to clear a new name for them to file. Um, and then if they either don't know, a, you know, don't know a new name yet, we sometimes we wait a couple months until they decide, then we do a new search and file. Um, or if they are like, um, so this part hasn't happened where anyone's been like, I don't have a new name. I don't want to trademark anymore. They usually come up with something and then we file. But I always tell them if they don't, um, I do refund them half and then we just don't file the trademark application. So Okay. Interesting. I love that. You are so yeah. ethical. I love you. <laughs> well, yeah. And you know, I don't, it takes a long time. So I don't also, you know, for me personally, like I want to see that registration. I don't want to see a mark that like was, you know, we didn't get it because it was refused. So personally, I feel like that looks bad too. I mean, sometimes, you know, you have to, because they really want to try for it, but I do have to make sure that they know that like, it's going to be an uphill battle. And uh, sometimes it works out. Uh, lately, two clients that I really did not think that we were going to get their trademark through because it's just so close to someone else. We magically like we just had like crazy scenarios where it like worked out and both of them are getting through. And I'm like, how in the world did this happen? I have no idea. Both of them should have rebranded. Um, but it's insane. But sometimes like just crazy things happen and it works. So you never know. She's a trademark magician. <laughs> <laughs> All things that had really nothing to do with me, just magic really of like things happening with other brands that were like, just fell in line perfectly for us. So yeah. Wow. Well, I love it. And I love how ethical you are. Uh, something that I see a lot in the online space is people will accept clients. They know they can't help or they're just outside of their expertise. Like I see a lot of coaches who are like, oh, I can take you to a million dollars a year. And like, they've only made a hundred thousand dollars a year and mm -hmm. they've never worked with million dollar brands before. And I think it's really important to understand like what you can do and what you can't do, because ultimately at the end of the day, it can really damage your reputation. And in business, your reputation is everything. And Kelly, you have a great reputation. Thank you. <laughs> and yes, yeah, sometimes even, you know, just on our consultations for trademarks, I try to do that like basic free search on the call that I was talking about earlier. Um, that way I can see if there are any like major red flags just from my like quick view. Um, and, you know, sometimes just from that, I will have to be like, this isn't, this is not a good idea. Like you should not use this name, um, which, you know, is of course like slightly painful because then I'm like, well, then you're definitely not trademarking. So, you know, you're definitely not hiring me. But, you know, sometimes that ha that's how it is. Or if they're too close to someone that I already represent, 
I have to be like, thank you so much for choosing me, but here's my friend. You, you're going to have to hire her instead because I can't represent anyone with a name that is too close to one of my clients because, you know, their, their interests overlap. Okay. That's so interesting that you bring like conflict of interest up because I've always kind of, I've, I've gone back and forth with this as an agency owner, as a consultant, because I do work with a few people who are online business coaches or fitness coaches. And part of me is like, is this a conflict of interest? Do I say something? Do I not say something? And yeah, it's something I struggled with, but I don't see anyone else in the online business space talking about conflict of interest. Now, like I've worked for other agencies where they would take on 10 people in the same industry and they would be direct competitors and it would be fine. I worked for other agencies where they would absolutely not do that. So um, yeah, I think about that from time to time. Like, is this a legal thing? Is it more of an ethical thing? Is it, do I say something? Do I not say something? And Mm -hmm. yeah, so it's interesting that you, that you bring that up. Any like recommendations for that? Yeah. So, I mean, for us, like as lawyers, we obviously like, we have to file, um, you know, follow our like ethical rules because, you know, we're licensed to do so. So we kind of like have to follow those. Um, but as far as other business owners, I think, you know, sometimes it's like kind of like a case by case thing. Um, I know the, like the, I was working with someone, um, a PR agency earlier this year, and she said to me that like, she was not going to take on other lawyers in my like practice areas, um, which, you know, that kind of made sense because of course, like if you're, you know, submitting people for a pitch, like, you know, then you're competing against, you know, your clients are competing against each other. Um, so I guess that like, you know, I see the, like the fairness in that. Um, but you know, for other things, like maybe, you know, for a coach, it might not make that much of a difference if you have two, you know, trademark lawyers as clients, you know? So I think like, it really depends on exactly what you're doing as well. Um, but I do think it's something to, you know, be like considerate of, like, you know, it's, it should be a consideration that you think about. Um, and yeah, I don't think probably other business owners, um, do, you know, I think also lawyers, we just think about it because we have to. So, and we're just like, that's instilled in us from, you know, before we even start practicing. So I think that's a little different too. Whereas if you're not a lawyer, then like, you know, how would you even like know to think of that really, unless it like someone says something. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's interesting to see how like attorneys, CPAs, doctors, physical therapists, like that, that kind of field of people, like you guys operate so differently, but it's because you have to, like you yeah, you like sign off on, on operating yeah. that way and other people like business coaches, marketing agencies, PR agencies, like we don't have, we don't have that. And part of me mm-hmm. wonders like, will this change in the future after there being so many issues in this industry? And I hope things change a little bit in the future, but I guess we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I think we will have to wait and see, but I think, you know, I think we will see some changes. Um, just because of the amount of people that are talking about it more um, and also the amount of people that are complaining more. It's like the FTC or, you know, this and that. Um, Yeah, so we shall see. But lawyers, I mean, we have a separate test. Like in addition to the bar exam, we have a test that we have to take just on the ethics rules that we have to pass um, before we're allowed to be licensed. Um, So yeah, I think like, having something overall, maybe, you know, maybe not a test that everyone has to take and pass, but even, you know, like 
ethical guidelines or something that are like recommended by a you know board or something for business owners or something might so be what like. i hear is 2023 um lawyer kelly's going to be leading the leading the way on this one um <laughs> i'm just kidding i will put that pressure on you <laughs> uh, i think it definitely has to come from some type of like higher board because you know even uh recently i see some people are like saying like oh i'm gonna teach a ethics certification but you know who's to say what is is or is not ethical for us as business owners i think probably a lot of us would have to come together and like come to some type of agreement rather than it just be like one coach saying like what's ethical or not for sure. I mean, everybody's ethical compass looks a little bit different based on your upbringing and your education and all the things like, for example, I went to business school and like I had to take a business ethics course. I took a communication mm -hmm. ethics course in undergrad. I took a law course. Like there were multiple courses I took that kind of helped shape me into what I think is ethical and not ethical in business, but mm -hmm. not everybody went through business school. You know what I mean? Like not everybody right. went that route. Some people didn't even go to college. So like their idea of business ethics is going to be based on, again, their upbringing, maybe what jobs they had and whatnot. So yeah, super interesting stuff. This conversation definitely went in a different direction than I thought we were going to go in, but I have loved talking to you and I know that my listeners are going to enjoy this episode as well. Is there anything else that we didn't touch on that you wanted to speak about for a minute or two? Um, I think we definitely touched on a lot, um, but I will say that I think, you know, as a business owner, the one of the best things that you can do for yourself as far as the legal goes is to you know, be proactive in handling it and handle it as early as possible because it might seem like, you know, counterintuitive because like you haven't yet grown your business or like built it to where you want to be. So why are you going to invest in it like that? But, you know, investing in the legal early is really going to cost you the least amount of money and the least amount of stress and problems because if you handle things early, then yes, you're going to pay probably a couple thousand for all of the legal stuff but then you're not going to have to pay the tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands in like, you know, two years, five years, 10 years when something potentially could go wrong. Yeah, that's so true. Great advice. Great insights. Thank you so much, Kelly. Is there anything you want to promote before we shut this conversation down? Um, I will say that if you want, if you are in need of any contract templates, um, you can either find me on Instagram at lawyer Kelly with an I underscore or lawyer Kelly with an I dot com slash templates. Awesome. And we will link everything in the show description. Thank you so much, Kelly. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me. Of course.